from Dartmouth College. This is Lee Coffin. Welcome to the Admission Beat. So our first guest is friend of the pod, Jack Steinberg. Jack spent many decades at the New York Times covering the admission beat itself. I've often thought of him as one of the, the founding fathers of the admission beat back in the 90s and early 2000s. Jack has been a reporter. He's been an author of two really noteworthy admission-themed books, The Gatekeepers, Inside the Admission Process of a Premier College. Uh, was published in 2002 and I think stands the test of time 20 years later as in my view one of the best books documenting the way a selective college does its work and then last year uh, Jack and my longtime colleague Eric Furda the former dean of admissions at Penn published the college conversation a practical companion for parents to guide their children along the path to higher education um, Jack is a parent of two college-age kids. He is uh, the past president of the Dartmouth Alumni Association, a Dartmouth class of 88. So always fun to welcome you to the podcast, Jack. And in this episode, I'm turning my mic over to you, and you're going to interview me as we think about the admission landscape in the fall of 2022. So nice to see you again. It's a pleasure to be with you, Lee. And thanks for that introduction. I'm imagining particular listeners. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about high school seniors. Uh, I'm thinking about their parents as well as their guardians and other adults who serve as mentors in their lives. Uh, I'm thinking about the counselors who support and guide them. And I'm particularly thinking about students whose parents didn't go to college or perhaps went to college so long ago that some of their information might be out of date. And, you know, for those who are new to the beat, when I talk about students whose parents did not graduate from college, that is a audience that resonates with you personally, as well as professionally. Yeah, no, I mean, for new listeners, a recurring theme of my conversations is my own experience uh, in 1980, 81. So like, you know, it feels like a dinosaur era <laughs> ago in terms of admission, but I was a first gen college bound student at a public high school in Connecticut with some, but not particularly robust guidance and found my way forward. And a guiding goal of all of my podcasting is to help students like I was um, have the agency to move forward on their own and to give them some perspective and some uh, news you can use, as I've heard Jack say in other venues, that will help demystify um, a process that can seem overwhelming and opaque. Um, I, I have a particular goal every year of helping people to see this as not a random game, but a thoughtful, intentional process on the student side as well as on the college side, and to help empower people to just open up a common application, a Questbridge application, a coalition application, a Georgetown application, whatever it might be, and start typing with intent that um, helps someone tell her story in her own words to the best of her ability to introduce herself 
to the College of Her Choice. So for those who are listening and think to themselves, oh, Lee's the dean of a, an Ivy League institution. He can't possibly imagine um, what I'm thinking and feeling and worried about. I, I would argue, um, try to imagine the dean as student as being right where you were. And, and in many instances, having to educate his own parents about this process. Um, yeah, some yeah. of you can probably relate to that dynamic. So uh, I'm thinking about our listeners today, Lee, um, but I'm also thinking about the calendar. It's, it's, it's September. Uh, some of our listeners will soon be um, submitting applications through rolling admissions plans where um, co some colleges on a first come first serve basis will be um, considering applications as they come in and rendering decisions. Others will be um, thinking about early application programs, uh, binding programs though, like those at Dartmouth and other schools, as well as early action, which is not binding, and, uh, and other variations of that. And still others will be aiming toward uh, deadlines that will be coming um, on or around the 1st of uh, January in the new year. So as we think about that calendar and the kickoff of the podcast, we've got you know a bit of time left in September, we've got October, we've got November, we've got um, December. Um, I'm hoping to ask you some questions on behalf of our listeners that could be helpful to them throughout this fall. And and does that sound like a, a good approach for our time together? Yeah, you know, I think September, since I was five, has been this back to school moment, you know, get the new shoes, find a new lunchbox, uh, head back to class. And I think the admission cycle follows that same energy where, you know, it's been going for this class for many months at this point, but it's time to get serious. If you're a senior in high school planning to apply to college, the weeks between early September and the deadlines you've outlined come quickly. People should not wait until the night before a deadline to start filling out the, the application. So yeah, I, I'm happy to, to offer whatever wisdom, guidance, um, do's and don'ts, you want to ask me to supply? Yeah. So I think for listeners, we're going to get pretty tactical as we think about that roadmap. But first, Lee, I want to start broadly. When you say back to school, um, I, I kind of feel that in my stomach. Um, I, I, I feel the butterflies, the jitters. And um, I, I, you and I both know that um, whether our listener is a parent or a student um, or, or even the counselors helping them, um, that there's um, every fall, there's a lot of anxiety at this moment. Um, what can, speaking specifically to the students in our audience, the seniors, um, what advice would you have for them in terms of managing the stress um, and anxiety of this moment and, and the weeks and months ahead? Such a great question. And I think the stress of not just applying, but imagining where someone sees himself, trying to get it right. You know, there's this sense that this process is fraught and it's not, um, it's competitive in a lot of spaces and, and that's a reality to own without getting freaked out about the idea that a place might say no more than it can say yes. But remember the goal on the college side is to say yes as much as it can, given the class is trying to fill. But from a student perspective in the fall of 2022, I, uh, I think one of the challenges right now is an overload of information. And one of the reasons I named this the admission beat is I think the beat can be loud, 
Uh, there's a lot of information coming at people from lots of different sources, some human to human, some through social media, some through newspapers. Um, uh, and I think the advice would be, to the extent you can do it, keep your own counsel. You know, try not to get sucked into the the, the competitive conversation with your peer group about you know, what are your scores? What were your grades? Where are you applying? Where aren't you applying? Are you early or not? And because, you know, it's not a knock down your peers to get to the goal first. Um, this process invites you to pay attention to you, to, to have an honest conversation with yourself about what matters um, in terms of the environment in which you'd like to find yourself a year from now, um, to the degree you know as a senior in high school what kind of curriculum you'd like to study I mean in broad ways pre-professional liberal arts um, something that's very prescribed something that's more open-ended I mean there's lots of different colleges and lots of different programs of study that bubble beneath the name of the college I think you have to think about where have I been looking what's resonating and what's not. And I guess the last piece of advice would be don't force it. Like, you know, if, if September moves into October, if you're listening to this right before a deadline, particularly an early deadline, if you don't have a strong pull towards a campus, wait, it's called regular decision. Um, you know, I think that the trap door of all of this is feeling like, something has to happen on someone else's timeline and enjoy your senior year. Like take this fall and all of the wonderful things that come along with being a senior um, and have some fun. In addition to thinking about college and applying to college, um, be 17 for a bit and laugh and play to the degree um, you let yourself do that. Yeah, I mean, I think being 17 a bit and and keeping this in perspective and and having big chunks of your life where this isn't top of mind can be helpful on that point of uh, reducing stress. Talk a little bit about um, the the things that are within applicants' control. We we focus a lot of this process on people like yourself who are in that position to to say yes or no or maybe let me see. Uh, but there's a, a quite a number of elements of this process that are within applicants' control and, and within the control of families. And um, can you just sort of tick off a few of those things? Start with the transcripts. So the your high school transcript is the most important part of your application because it's foundational. It tells the admission officer about academic preparation and in the more selective places about academic achievement. Um, you control as a senior what courses you're taking, how much you're studying. Um, you can't always control what grade you get, but you have agency over the performance piece that happens in your senior year. And it's important because the transcript before this, ninth, 10th, 11th grade, static. You finished it. The grades are on those documents. You can't change things. As you move through your senior year, it is a living transcript. You have report cards, you have mid-year grades, which we will get from your high school. 
after you're admitted, we will get your final grades and review those before you enroll. So this 12th grade academic cycle is very much a living document that you have your hands on the steering wheel of that. So that's one. Two is remember that the, the application you use, whether it's Common Coalition, QuestBridge, or Institutional, um, you have full control over the story you tell through every section of that application. What essay you answer and how you answer it, how you choose to introduce yourself through your extracurricular engagement, who you ask to offer a letter of recommendation on your behalf. Um, the sum of all of those application elements create a document known as the application. It is your work. So, so let's get tactical as we think about the fall um, and finalizing the college list. Um, what are some, for, for listeners who are working to finalize that list, um, how can you help get them uh, across the finish line? Um, and, and by when should they be doing that? Yeah. So if someone started their college search last winter, spring, you know, by September of a senior year, I hope a fair degree of exploration has happened. So there will have been many aha moments where something resonated or not on a campus in an info session at a campus tour, poking around the websites. So some places should rise and fall as a result of that exploration. So when they're sagging, let them go. When they're rising, ask yourself, what is it about this set of places that is still dancing around my imagination as potential places for me? So that's step one. Step two is, you know, you can apply to up to 20 places on the common application. That's not a goal. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think giving yourself a reality check on, like, let's aim for 10 or 12, not 18 or 20. You know, a couple places that seem aspirational. And by aspirational, I mean, you look at the acceptance rates and you think, ooh, the odds are long that this place becomes an option. A few in the middle where you have broadly competitive credentials as you understand their selectivity with your guidance or college counselor. And then a couple places that I would call likely acceptances, not places you would never go. Um, if that ends up being the one or two places that offer you admission, but places where you have a very reasonable shot at being invited to join that student body. And then I think the last step of this is as, as the catnip that is early decision, early action creeps closer through the fall. I see students make um, a strategic error every fall and they look at early as their chance to go for the most aspirational place on the list to see what happens, quote unquote. And in doing so, you fumble an opportunity to make that same case to a place that is 
in your sweet spot around where you see yourself and where um, your chances are realistic. And, you know, some places have second rounds of early decision. Some places don't. Um, I would say if you're shooting towards a November application and it's binding, take a moment and ask yourself, is this really where I see myself and a realistic candidacy? Or am I just kind of throwing one out there to see, well, maybe I'm going to get in. And I've heard friends in college counseling say so many times that let's see what happens turns out in just the way the college counselor has said it will. It's a no. And, and then there's a panic that happens in mid-December. It's like, oh my God, I didn't get in. And so that one early application becomes 15 plus regular decision candidacies because someone panicked about what did not happen. And that's avoidable. Um, does that make sense, Jack, as I'm saying that? I think it's sort of a behind the scenes perspective, but I, every year I see a wave of students applying early somewhere and it never was realistic and it just sets up a disappointing outcome too soon in this process. I think it's an important point. I also want to revisit your point that was in in effect, you didn't use these words, but kind of love your safety school. Uh, for those schools on your list that are likelies, as you put them, I can't emphasize enough how important it is for you to do your due diligence as a student and um, and not put that school on there because your counselor recommended it um, and you're doing it to make them happy. Uh, but really, if you can imagine yourself, if you've done enough research and due diligence, hopefully even visited those schools in the likely category, this process can be a lot less fraught. And I, I intentionally avoided the S word, as I yeah. call it, because it, it invites a negative perception. It, it suggests like, I don't, I don't really want to go there. Um, it's my safe choice. And as opposed to a likely choice is a way of owning it with more excitement to say, just like a reach, I also didn't use that word, which is common nomenclature in my profession. Reach is not a great thing in and of itself. It just means the odds of admission are less because the volume relative to the size of the class means places have to be really selective. Getting into a reach doesn't mean that's the best place for you. Yeah. And I, I stay away from the word safety as well. I also think, yeah. as you know, there are no sure things in college admissions. Oh. We talked about the things that are within your control. Um, there are no guarantees in this process, and uh, but but being strategic and making sure that some of those schools that are aligned in terms of their selectivity and your credentials um, can can diminish the anxiety in this process. So let's move on. Let's imagine a list is taking shape, uh, starting to take shape, and it's it's time for application. Um, you mentioned uh, two applications in particular, the common application, which is accepted by more than 900 colleges and universities, I believe. You also mentioned the coalition application. Let, let's start with the common application. Imagine um, a listener or an adult in their life um, who has never um, opened the common application before. Um, give us a bit of a preview of it. Um, you've already talked about some of the components, but I have questions about a few others as well. But but you, Dartmouth um, is one of those more than 900 schools. Um, what's the purpose of that application as far as you um, as a dean and your office are concerned? Yeah, it's a shared document. It's, it's a um, 
membership-driven application that um, serves, as you said, 900 plus institutions that are inviting students to submit their applications through a common framework. Um, upside for the student, you don't have to fill out the same form 10 times. Um, the trick of it is you have to use that common application to and, and through usually a supplement to that common application, institutional supplement, personalize it. Like bring it back to why am I applying to Dartmouth, to Duke, to Berkeley, to wherever. Um, so as we're reading you in this, this document that everybody sees the same pieces, how do you use the supplemental component to then say, and this is the, the local dimension to the application I'm also filing. But the app itself, it's not really a mystery. You know, there's a biographical section that, you know, you name, rank, serial number, where do you live? Who are you? Um, what's your family dynamic? Are you suburban, rural, urban? What's your high school? Um, you know, it's collecting the information, kind of the census component of the file that helps us kind of understand who you are, where you are. Uh, there's a section for extracurricular activities, um, which doesn't mean fill out every line on that grid. Um, you know, just because there's eight lines doesn't mean you have to have eight big things. You might you might play the piccolo and that's your jam and you do that really well and you, you play piccolo and you're in the orchestra and maybe you're in the newspaper staff. That's three or four things. As they say in Italy, basticacy. It's just, it's enough. Uh, you might be someone who's doing a lot everywhere and you're going to fill out that whole thing. I mean, what we're reading for there is what engages you or how long have you been engaged in this pursuit? Um, have you had any recognition or leadership in that particular area? Um, and how does that set of interests and activities and talents contribute to the community we're building on campus? Um, there are some essays, um, a long personal statement on the common application that uh, lots of different topics invites you to share some narrative um, perspective of yourself. You come back to that, I think. There's the secondary school report filled out by your guidance counselor, your college counselor. Um, there's an assessment. There's a school profile, which tells us about your high school and what's offered there in the community. There's a transcript documenting your academic work from ninth through 12th grade. Um, if there's testing that's usually connected to the secondary school report. And then there's one or two teacher recommendations often shared by someone who taught you in 11th grade. And that's it. On the, on, and the coalition app follows a very similar structure. Um, you know, these are building blocks that give you little invitations to introduce yourself across these different pieces of the application. And you should be thoughtful about what you're saying in each one so that when you put the pieces together, the whole thing looks like you. 
know, I, I love the idea, and you mentioned this earlier, of the application as a as a storytelling mechanism. This is a, a memoir opportunity. Um, a, a few follow-up questions on a few of the components. Um, coming back to the essays, um, you talked about the sort of long-form essays that are part of the general common application. And then there will, of course, be some essays related to those supplements you mentioned that are institution-specific. So let's just do a, a little bit of advice on each. When it comes to that long-form essay, and you mentioned that there will be multiple prompts, um, we talk about uh, the listeners of this podcast as being our audience. In this case, you um, and your colleagues, both at Dartmouth and at other institutions, um, are the audience for these essays. They should um, quite literally imagine you sitting down and, and reading them and, and carefully. What are some of the things you look for, first of all, in that sort of long form essay that is not specific to your institution? Uh, the quality of writing always jumps out you know, how thoughtfully elegantly cleanly does someone communicate in written english um when i'm reading i'm composing an evaluative narrative about each student on my docket and so i'm taking notes and i'm trying to glean from an essay whatever salient observation or highlight someone has introduced in that file. So, you know, as a writer of the essay, the question to ask is, what does this document, this essay, this statement, tell the reader about me? And try, and as an exercise, I've often told students, try and write a headline on the essay you just wrote. And if you had to distill it down to a tweet, what would it be? Like, how do you pull this essay down to a really tight narrative blurb about what's in this essay? Is that what you want me to know about you when all the prose is stripped down of its skeleton? Um, so you might go into the essay and say, I, it's important for me to introduce myself as a politically active person. You might say, I am... Uh, an environmentalist. And I'm going to use the essay to sketch out an understanding of my green bona fides. Go. I am a performer. You know, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm a musician. Go. So no wrong way to do this. It's, it's, it's truly um, kind of open mic night, if you will. It's like go up and just lay it out there and, um, and the trap on that long form essay is it reads in a very overly scrubbed pro forma way. Like, you know, you followed some outline that someone handed to you and said, this is what a college essay ought to look like. And you, um, you give us something that's well composed, but does not put a spotlight on you as a person, as a student, as um, a thinker, or you're you're writing about a topic that lots of other people have written about in a very similar thematic way. Doesn't hurt you, but it doesn't help move you forward in the evaluation process. You're looking to make the essay be a signature moment. I don't want to overstress this one, but it is one of the prime pieces of real estate in this application. When you know you asked me earlier 
What can you own? You own this. You can go anywhere you want with it. If you're funny and you think you can pull that off in written form, here's your chance to show us a sense of humor. If you are, you know, loving Kierkegaard and you want to talk about, you know, how you discovered philosophy and go. Um, you're an engineer and you want to mull about tinkering and the way you've been taking the air conditioner and the vacuum apart since you were five and how you use that mechanical creative impulse to think about what you're studying in physics and chemistry and mathematics go so lots of different ways to do it but that essay is um a really rich opportunity yeah imagine a a reader who's never met you before in all likelihood they probably have not um an opportunity to sort of say who are you um what makes you tick what do you value um what are some of those moments in the course of your life that helped you sort of sharpen um, that sort of awareness about yourself. That's the sort of longer form. Um, The essay for the supplement that is school specific um, is, um, is, is one theme of that line of questioning sort of why our school? That's almost always a short answer question on a supplement. And it gets back to the conversation we had about shaping your list. And if you come to a question that basically boils down to why us, and you can't answer it, that's a clue <laughs> that, you know, that place really made the list for a reason that's probably um, more reputation than intent. But you want to be answering that question with an eye towards why did this place make your final list? What do you look for in teacher recommendations? Um, how important are those recommendations? And and how should students think about the teachers they ask to fill out those recommendations? Where I've worked over the last 20 years, um, it's not uncommon to see transcripts with lots of A's. Great. All A's aren't equal. Um, so a teacher recommendation is an opportunity for the person in the classroom with you to say, here's what I witnessed about this student's journey from September to June in my classroom. Uh, This is her contribution to class discussion, kind of papers she wrote, her analytical reasoning, her collaborative skills with her peers. Um, Now, drawing a portrait that brings the grade to life you know classroom presence would be another way of thinking about it and who writes that i mentioned it's almost always somebody from 11th grade who has taught someone for the full academic year um which teacher can enhance the storytelling you're trying to share um You know, if you are headed towards engineering, doesn't have to be a math or science teacher, often is, but you might say, I think my grades and my essays paint that portrait and I'm gonna have a humanities teacher bring another perspective of me into this application. Or no, I'm gonna double down on this. I really loved chemistry and I want the chemistry teacher to be able to share insights from my exploration of that and why I'm thinking about that as a potential major. Um, 
it doesn't have to be this person who gave you the best grade. Um, you know, maybe you had one teacher who was a particularly tough grader, but you learned a lot. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about standardized testing, which we haven't really talked about at all in this conversation. And um, spoiler alert for listeners, um, <laughs> we're going to be devoting an entire episode um, in the coming weeks to this subject. It's uh, impossible to do justice to it in just a few moments here. But we, first of all, in this moment, as we speak um, in the fall of 2022, um, nearly every college and university in this country, including the institution you work at, Dartmouth, considers uh, the SAT and the ACT to be optional. There are some places that are coming out of the pandemic and said this optional pause has been valuable and we're going to continue. There are places like MIT, which has already said we are reinstating testing because testing is valuable in the process we run. Requirements and place will vary across the landscape. I will say in this third year, uh, if you've got scores and you're applying to one of the pandemic pause places, think about sending them in. I think they are a valuable addition to your file when you've got them. And you need to, and to parents, I say this uh, with a yellow highlighter, trust the admission officers to read scores in context. Yeah, and um, and more to come on that, of course. Implicit in your answer, though, for this current crop of high school seniors, if I'm hearing you correctly, it, it, the, the question of whether to submit, you've provided some advice on that, which will surely get refined in conversation, hopefully with counselors and, and families. It's very personal, you know, particular decision. Um, but you can't submit if you don't take the test. You don't have to take it five times. You should never have taken it five times, but taking it once or twice and then looking at those scores in the context of the places you're thinking about. I, I don't think, I guess another way of saying this is being test optional is not a pass to apply to a place where you, you probably weren't going to be competitive anyway. Another topic that, with another spoiler alert, we're going to be devoting an entire future episode to is affordability. Um, but in the context of these months uh, that we're talking about this fall and where seekers and their families and their counselors and other adults in their lives are at, how should families begin to interject the notion of affordability into um, their search and, and their lists in particular? So affordability for many families is the non-negotiable, non-starter like we got to start here. So start to look at that now, not later. Uh, we all are required to have a net price calculator on our website um, that allows a family to plug in essential data and have a projected cost of attendance and likely financial aid award. If those calculators are saying, you qualify for a significant amount of aid, that changes the conversation about affordability. If the calculator comes back and says, you have a, a family contribution that equals 80% of the cost of attendance, and the family looks at that and says, that's just not realistic. You know, maybe that merits a follow-up conversation with, with the guidance counselor or with the school itself. So the net price calculator 
um, invaluable at the early part of the search. One last element of uh, this process. As, as we speak, uh, the Supreme Court has agreed to reconsider the question of the constitutionality of affirmative action in the college admissions process. That decision, whatever it may be, whenever it comes, will not affect this current crop of high school seniors. But can you talk a little bit about, at least as the process exists now, how do you all as admissions officers, as practitioners of the holistic admissions process, factor diversity and equity into your decision-making process? Many of us, most of us, look to create a campus community drawn from as many different perspectives as we can bring together in a class. Because we believe that both enriches the academic and residential experience, but also it, we're trying to replicate the world in which our students will graduate and be living lives and leadership. So, you know, to me, it seems like a false question to say, well, why are you diverse? Why wouldn't we be? Like, you know, so trying the, the Supreme Court has a case that is, um, looking at the idea of holistic review and whether race as one factor among many in that review is constitutional. Um, that's a policy conversation. Affirmative action is a policy. The case does not get to the principle of diversity, the principle of access, the principle of trying to build a campus community from many different backgrounds and perspectives. And the, the that goal doesn't change if the Supreme Court overturns a policy. So we've uh, we've given uh, our listeners a lot to think about, and we've admittedly thrown a lot of information at them. And for those of you who are listening, who who may feel like this sounds overwhelming, almost <laughs> undoable, um, I, I think that's sort of a natural emotion, um, and, and yet. Um, it is doable and it is achievable. And, and, and Lee, when, when, a, when a young person or a parent comes to you and says, I, I just don't know if we can navigate this, uh, particularly a parent who themselves may not have navigated this process before, like your own parents, um, what's an argument that can give them confidence um, that um, this course that we've laid out for these next few months for them is is achievable and with a um with a good outcome and and hopefully multiple good outcomes i i'm struck all the time by how different the landscape today is to the one i navigated 40 years ago now which is like it always makes me go oh god um but you know just just this podcast and the conversation we're having is a resource anybody can access um and and that's the spirit of why we're having this conversation to help start to frame the topic, give people some insights, hopefully a oh kind of moment. And you know, by the end of the season, through 10 episodes, a way of saying, okay, I, you know, they've talked about essay writing, they've talked about testing, they've talked, and we're gonna get to an episode where we talk about gossip and all the things you hear as you know, you're moving through this journey and, and I, I say, keep your own counsel, you know, how do you do that? Um, it, it's, it is not an impossible quest. 
you know, this is this is not Don Quixote um, charging a windmill that's not there. This is a part of the academic journey that a lot of people take. Um, I think the volume of contemporary admissions is what makes it seem impossible. You know, we have a lot of people who seek what we offer. And that points you back to just be thoughtful about where you're applying and don't load up on hard to get into places just for the hell of it. And, you know, the people who do that are the ones that come out the other side and say, that was really, uh, that was hard. Um, students who are more clear-eyed about opportunity, where it can be found, how to pay for it, um, it happens. And I think there's moments throughout the decision-making cycle where families are surprised by an admission outcome that they didn't expect, um, financial aid offer that seemed more generous than they imagined. And and play a game with yourself. Take a piece of paper, write on it. I'm going to enroll at College X. Lick it shut, put it in a drawer, and open that envelope on May 1st. I think many of you are going to have a different answer <laughs> uh, in May than you have today because things evolve and you learn things and your your perspective changes. Um, that's organic. That's fine. Yeah, I think that's a terrific note on which to yeah. end. I appreciate your patience with my questions, and I hope that our listeners will take a moment after this conversation to, to pause, to breathe, to reflect, and um, and to come back to the beat uh, for future episodes. Yeah, this we did this episode first because we wanted to sketch out the landscape, and we will come back to some of these topics and some others um, once a week for the next. 10 weeks. And we are excited to welcome some fellow deans, some college counselors, uh, maybe a journalist or two here and there. And we're also going to bring back a couple of Encore episodes from previous years that we think are worth having a second airing in the fall of 2022. So I'm excited to be back on air um with the admission beat um thanks jack for kicking us off on the season premiere and until next week this is lee coffin from dartmouth college see you soon mm -hmm.